Blog Talk Radio. Armed Forces, men and women, the United States Armed Forces, men and women, police and fire services, 
and the men and women on the first line of defense against COVID. Please, when you're out there, please wear your mask. Um, they're asking now that you wear a double mask. I don't know whether you can do that or not. But please, for your own safety, my safety, and everyone around you, please wear your mask. And if you are over the age of 65, please go get your mask. They're free. They're, um, and they're available. So get yourself in line and get one. Well, guys, it's uh, was another big week coming up. Uh, I want to, first. I want to welcome back our traveler, uh, uh, fresh in from uh, North Carolina, Mr. Ty, uh, Mr. Zito, sure. Bob. Everybody's here. Hey. It's great. And we're going to have a good friend uh, Russell Peltz at uh, eight o'clock. Oh wow! Okay. I'm I'm sure since Russell was uh, was uh, Michael uh, was uh, yeah Michael. Uh, Michael Spence, uh, Spinks, uh, promoter, that he'll have some uh, kind words for him. But uh, um, Well, let's start out. Uh, Bob, I know you're chomping at the bit. There's a very big fight tonight, and uh, yeah. uh, that would be uh, Usman versus, versus Burns. So you want to start out with that one? <clears throat> UFC 258 tonight at 7 p.m. UFC Annex. Uh, Carmen Usman kills at Burns. Usman 17-1 on a on a great streak. Gilbert Burns looking good after his recent finish of Tyrone Woodley. Uh, you know, they're both, I mean, Usman's got this style about him, man. He's, he's fantastic. I mean, we've talked about those guys, the chin up guys, uh, the just stay right in the pocket and make people miss by inches. Um, you know, great stand up for being a good wrestler. Now Gilbert Burns is coming in and he's doing good. He's doing his best to stand up <clears throat> putting a pounding on people, but, you know, he's he's basically more of a, a grappler himself, too. So I'm curious if tonight stays on its feet or if it goes to the ground. But, you know, we're looking at Usman is uh, about negative 270 odds and Burns is 220. I'd, I'd pick the favorite. I'm an Usman fan. Usman hasn't pulled a Jones or anything yet and done anything dumb in the limelight. So uh, <laughs> I'm on that train right now. So... <clears throat> It's a very dangerous fight because, you know, they have familiarity. Both guys used to be training partners uh, for quite some time. Usman okay. actually left before this fight. Um, and he, he was leaving prior to Gilbert Burns being uh, uh, signed as an opponent, but he left shortly before this fight. So, they you know, these guys have familiarity with each other. Um, they weren't friends, but they were friendly. Uh, more so their their little kids were friends from what I've read. Um, but Gilbert Burns is a dangerous, dangerous guy, um, specifically since he's moved up to welterweight. He's going to be giving up a little bit of height and reach to Kamaru Usman, but he's built like a fire, you know, like a fire truck. Um, he's, he's just a really stocky guy. Uh, he's developed a stand-up, and he, you know, he's quite crisp in a stand-up, and he's actually probably one of the most decorated jiu-jitsu practitioners, uh, you know, in UFC history. You know, the guy has legit... Uh, no gi and gi grappling credentials. So um, he's dangerous wherever the fight goes. With that said, he's been clipped before. You know, he has he has a couple losses. Um, he actually got knocked out by Hooker uh, down in lightweight. But, you know, once guys a lot of times stop depleting themselves uh, by, by burning, you know, by cutting so much weight, they become more durable. And that's been the case with him. He's been more durable. His cardio has been pretty good. So, you know, it's a very dangerous fight. Like Bob, you got to kind of lean towards Usman. 
Um, I personally think that he and Kobe Covington are probably the two best welterweights in the world. However, Gilbert Burns uh, would be a dangerous fight for either one of those guys. Outside of each other, I think Gilbert Burns is probably the toughest fight for those guys right now. Yes, yeah, like you said, from 2007 to 2015, several gold medals for Nogi, World Cup champion, Abu Dhabi Pro, Brazilian National. Yeah. The guy's a beast. Yeah. So then you were saying that, uh, that you know, when you mentioned Gilbert Burns is coming up, it also kind of segues us into uh, uh, tonight the, uh, the Kelvin uh, Gaslaw versus uh, – Ian Heinz, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I think uh, Usman fought Gossov at a lower weight, if I'm if I'm correct, and so uh, or heavier weight. Yeah. So I mean, again, these guys are these guys. uh, uh, Gossov has fought Usman, yeah, Um, and and it was close to beating him, but um, you know that was a different weight class as well. So, well, Gaston is a guy who really Uh-oh. technically should be fighting at 170. He's a guy who actually blew weight so many times. Dana White kind of forced him to go up to 185. So he's been competitive at 185 because he's a tremendous fighter. But he's, you know, he's often undersized. He's going to be undersized tonight too. Um, but he's never been able to have the discipline in his weight to consistently make 170. That's really the only reason he's up at 185. A lot of things have changed as they've taken away that uh, uh, banana IDs. bag. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, my phone was a little messed up. I was trying to chime in on a uh, Burns and Uzma fight. Um, Please do. Please do. I, I, I definitely agree with uh, both of you guys' assessment. Um, it's dangerous, but as, as far as that goes, I think that um, – Really, the stature may help Usman just to kind of get where he likes to go. Usman, he he likes his bombs in control, bombs in control, and he'll get he'll you know he he he'll throw bombs, but he also clinch. And then when he's on the ground, it's all about control. Um, that's a, really he. I, I can, it's going to be dangerous on the ground for him, but he's more, as I say, he's more controlled. He's not a guy who's going to give up a whole lot on the ground like that. Yeah, he has a conservative approach on top. He doesn't have a top control, top game like a Khabib. He's not that smothering, but like Zito said, he doesn't put himself in a lot of positions to get caught. He really doesn't. Yeah, he'll flip and roll like a wrestler. You know, he's he's good at that. Yeah. But, see, okay, what do you think about the, the ice fight? Also, what was that? The, which the, fight? The other one we were talking about tonight, yeah. The, uh, Gaston against Dan um, I don't. I don't know about Gaston. I, I, sometimes I like him, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, it depends which version we get to me. Well, what the, um, let me ask you this uh, on the other side. Austin Trout fought last week. Uh, what did you think of that fight, uh, Z? I mean, that was a pretty long layoff for him. I, I, I didn't uh, really catch it or hear about it. I'm sorry about that. How did he do? He won the unanimous uh, decision. He was fighting somebody he should have beaten, so it didn't really tell you where he's at at this point. Um, you know, in his career, obviously, he's a little longer in the tooth. 
Um, but I don't think many questions were answered as far as seeing him as a formidable uh, contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I figure. At this moment, you'll match him up against somebody that you know, when, you know, he he's gonna, I would say, look, try to look good against. That's capable of looking good but, against. Just to kind of put you know, his tonight, name out there. Tonight we have uh, at, at that weight at 154 we have Patrick Teixeira against Brian Castano. Castano's the Argentinian guy who throws a lot of punches. He had a draw with Erislan de Laura. It was you know a pretty deserved draw. It's very very entertaining competitive fight. And uh, Patrick Teixeira, who's like 31 and one with 21 knockouts, most people consider him like the weakest of the champions uh, at that weight. They consider you know he like literally he's ranked ninth. Uh, in the top ten, and he's he's one of the the champions. So a lot of people think Castano could get that victory tonight, and if he does, it opens up that division. But I'm only mentioning that to mention the fact that no one's heard of Brian Castano or Patrick Teixeira. However, you've heard of Austin Trout. The reason why I say that is because as long as Austin Trout wins, a guy like a Patrick Teixeira or Brian Castano would want an Austin Trout's name. Uh, or scalp on their resume. So that's how a guy like Austin Trout to get another title shot, like Zito was saying, and um, how one of these guys will, you know, he'll serve as kind of cannon fodder for, you know, a, a hungry up-and-coming fighter to get his name on a resume. That's what happens in not just boxing. That's what happens in combat sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you, you know, uh, after a two-year two uh, layoff, you got uh, Dominic Brazil coming in tonight. Uh, against Otto Wallen. Uh, what's your thought on that one tonight? I'm sorry, I, I missed the question. I apologize. Uh, Dominic Brazil, he's been out for two years. He's uh, Oh, he's fighting fight. Otto Valen. Yeah, he's yeah. fighting Valen. Valen is, is known in the States because he was brought over before the first Deontay Wilder fight uh, to give Fury a tune-up. He was the guy that cut Fury. And, yeah. you know, made Fury have to kind of fight 10 hard rounds or 12 hard rounds. However, I, mean, I guess it was a title defense. I don't know. Um, and, you know, I, I favor him against Dominic Brazil if he doesn't get caught with something big and blast it out early. Uh, just because he's a live wire. Brazil is, you know, he's a, he's a big, sloth, you know, durable guy, but he's just not the fastest guy. He's very hittable. Um, Otto Valen should out-hustle him at the very least. Um, but what this will tell us is how good is Otto Valen? We really don't know. You know, was Tyson Fury just, you know, playing around and take them lightly that night, or is Otto Valen, you know, good enough to give these top guys competitive fights? So I think the bigger questions will be answered regarding Valen. I think with Dominic Brazil, we kind of already know what we got. I think I think um, Valen is good. Valen, skill-wise, is pretty good. But he's small. Valen's not a big guy as as far as the heavyweights. Um, the other as far as the, the Giants, that he, you know, you see him against Tyson Fury, he's he, he mentioned. It's going to be small against Brazil too. And one thing is, Valen, as good as he is, he's not yeah, the I hardest. Think he, I think he's like I think he's six three or six four, which I, I think he may be six four, but that's small compared to to, to Brazil and Tyson Fury, right? So. Yeah, I mean, he, he, to those guys, I mean, he, they're going to be towering over him and they're heavier. But the Brazil, um, he, he's going to be heavier. Well, Whalen, as good as he he's going to put hands on Brazil. He's going to touch Brazil. But Whalen's not a hard hitter. 
And I just see like the fight going on, Brazil actually putting weight on them and just wearing them out physically. And well, and not being able to really put them to keep them off of them, it just physically wearing out. And Brazil just steadily, like Brazil is maybe not the particular guy that you'll say he knows a cardio monster, but he's consistent. With Brazil, he's very is going to keep doing. And he I just don't see well He really that. does. Exactly. And, and you know what? And, and that's I, what I'm saying. That's, that's that's what our that's why I say you know the questions that are out are out about weight valence. You know what I mean? Is he is he good enough to you know give the Tyson Furies and the Anthony Joshuas a run for his money, or is he you know a couple ticks below and Tyson? He just caught Tyson Fury on a, you know a down night. Um, if what Zito says happens, then we know you know what he caught Tyson Fury on a down night. You know style matchup. He's just not that good. If he goes in there, withstands Brazil's size and power, and out hustle him out hustles him, then all of a sudden we got, you know, another interesting guy in the heavyweight division. If he gets yeah. close ahead and were to beat a, beat a Dominic Brazil, out hustle a Dominic Brazil, beat him however he does, then all of a sudden you got another guy that you're talking about alongside of Dylan White and Andy Ruiz and Pavetkin. You know, he, he enters that second tier level of heavyweights. Uh, if, if he loses to Brazil, as Zito thinks that, you know, could very well happen, which could very well happen, then he's not quite that level. So it, it, it's it's a, it's a very inter, interesting fight. And it's a good look for him. It's a good fight as far as just barometer-wise because, I mean, just as far as we're talking about names. So, I mean, that's a, right. a, a credible name, in the, well, at this moment, a credible name in the heavyweight division. Well, you know, I mean, he's only been fighting in Europe until he came over yeah. and fought Tyson Fury. So he's fighting, uh, you know, a recognizable name. At the very yeah. least, in the heavyweight division, like enough, it's actually a two, you know, in, in in all actuality, he also is facing a two-time title challenger. Because remember, Brazil yeah. got a crack at Dominic at uh, Joshua yeah. and a crack at uh, Deontay. So yeah. it is a very, you know, you know, even if say what you say, you know, people may think what they do about the level of Brazil, but he's fighting a, you know, at the very least, a recognizable known quantity. And, you know, again, with Oscar Valen, he's the unrecognizable, unknown quantity. So this is, this is, this is what we'll find out. And that's what makes a good fight, right, when you really don't know not only how it's going to happen or who's going to win when there's so many questions going in. That's what makes him, you know, an interesting fight. Hey, hey Bob, you got the cage coming off the, against Oliveri. Is, is this going to work or is it not going to work? Uh I'm sorry, I barely heard you. Gagey, talking. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, we, we have um, out of, it, 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 in the books right now. They have uh, KG fighting uh, Alavira. Is that yeah, going to come or not? Possibly in May. The the thing is, we we talked last week that that's such a a tough division, you know, right now, and and with the what they're calling the uh, up with McGregor. Um, but there, there more than likely will be a uh, uh, Dustin Poirier McGregor three before there's a Gagey fight. You know, um, I, just because they they got to figure stuff out in that division. Um, but that's kind of slotted for May against Oliveira. Um, but yeah, I, I mean they're right up in there. But like again, we talked last week. It's 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 messy because there's you know, they thought Connor would do a lot better and this and that, and Dana's going to go make his money before he really cares about anyone. And then Khabib's still got to either vacate his title or go on to do something. 
Um, so the, you know, the top five in that division right now is just kind of, it's just kind of, uh, 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 messy, you know, with, with Khabib not leaving, uh, no one, you know, like Khabib and, and, and Dana talked, he's like, no one under 185 pounds is going to beat me, you know, that, 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 that there is to it, you know? And, <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> uh, Gagey is phenomenal. He's a D, you know, D one wrestler and he got handled by Khabib. Um, so Khabib's going to either have to step aside so, yeah, I hope this happens, um, something so Gage doesn't get a bunch of ring rust and get put on the burner, because he did fantastic his last couple of showings, um, even against Khabib <clears throat> for what it was. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't want him to have to see him sit more than, you know, three months for his next fight, but we'll see what happens in May. The one thing that, that, that I did appreciate is that, you know, right now it doesn't look like, the title is going to be on the line because, you know, Dustin Poirier said, hey, if I rematch McGregor, you know, I'm the number one guy, the title should be on the line. And a lot of fans, a lot of people had a problem with McGregor, who, who you know, obviously because of his money-making stature, he could kind of cut in line in front of contenders anyway, right? Um, right. So the fact that he would have been fighting for a vacant title, uh, coming off a loss, fighting the same guy who had just knocked them out. Um, you know, that's kind of a slap in the face to the other contenders. So Absolutely. what's happening is, yeah, so if that, you know, Dana White right now said that won't be for the title. So, you know, kudos to Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier is the number one guy. He's been an interim champion. He wants the title, but, you know, he's got to get his money. This is another million-dollar fight for him. He's got to take it. I don't blame him, right? He's got to take care of his family, his, his foundation, so if he wants to do that, he has to do that. The issue with the title is it's funny because can you strip somebody of a title if they've retired? No, they retired. So the only reason why Khabib is still champion, and Dana White basically has said it's because of me. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still going to push. And even Daniel Cormier said, hey, Dana White, he, he, he has to do that. You know, Khabib's a moneymaker. you got to do that. Um, so it does leave the top five murky, but at the same time, it leaves it open for a set of fights, which kind of function as an unofficial lightweight tournament, right? So all of a sudden, if you get a, you know, Chucky Olives against Justin Gaethje, well, obviously, and you get a Conor McGregor against Dustin Poirier, what's starting to happen is you're starting to whittle these guys down. And the last two left standing could very well be the guys fighting for the title. Right, you throw Michael Chandler in there, um, and and that's what I see starting to kind of happen. The only thing that messed that plan up because I think that was Dana's plan going in. He that way you could stretch it out, keep the fans excited about the lightweight division while you still, you know, on the side or, or pushing and trying to lure Khabib back. You have time to do that with all these guys fighting. What screwed it up was he needed Connor to beat Dustin Poirier to really try to draw interest in a Khabib fight. That didn't happen, so you got to keep playing this game a little longer, which he doesn't mind because it gives him longer to work on Khabib. So it's a win-win situation right now for the UFC in the lightweight division because you have all these guys chomping at the bit for a belt that Dana White is holding over their head like a carrot. Um, Again, you can't strip a guy that's retired. So, you know. 
Well, you're saying stuff like that. You can't strip a guy that's retired. Can you impeach a president that's already passed? I don't know. I had to throw that out there. So, hey, whoa, <laughs> whoa. So, but yeah, well, so you know I mean, what? Being on impeachment is only a political crime because no one ever gets acquitted. So it's just a political crime. Or no one ever gets uh, convicted. Everyone gets acquitted. So it's just a political crime. It's just political retribution. That is, that is a good point. That's a valid point, though, sir. That's a valid point. Can't strip you. Can't strip you of what you've already given up. So yes, yeah, so, you know, it's oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say yeah. But tonight, you know, I mean tonight, uh, same thing. I, you know, just like Ty was saying, that other division is so swamped up. So, so whatever. And, and with the Khabib, I mean, what they're calling an upset with the Poirier, you know, go get that extra money, guys, because again, uh, Poirier's never been paid like McGregor. So if he can go in there exactly. and get that cash cow now, and he can get his own yacht like McGregor going over to Abu Dhabi, you, you know what I mean? Go get your money, guy. Um, but then it's unfortunate because it does put these guys like Gagey and, and everyone else is sitting right on top waiting for this title right. shot to open up, and, and, and they're out to pasture. You, you know, so what, what yeah. are you doing? You, you know, and, and, and just kind of waiting out. But so then again – to kind of and and Dana's smart about this because Dana we've talked about this not the yeah, I'm not my favorite guy in the whole world but man what a business guy he he's gonna he's gonna throw this whole bracket at us tonight with with uh, Usman and and Burns and this and that and get us all caught up in this while he's figuring stuff out with that whole other division and he's got time you know um, he's just gonna string us along with it but yeah so just wanted to add that in there. Hey, guys, uh, we're joined by a good friend of ours, uh, Russell Peltz. Uh, Russell is a is a promoter out of Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, he promoted his first fight September 30th of 1969 at the Old Blue Horizon. God, how many times we go there and have a great time. Uh, he was also, I don't think anybody knew, the director of boxing at the Spectrum from 73 to 80. Uh, was it 80 or 82, uh, Russell? 80. 80. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he's promoted some fantastic shows. Um, he had uh, some of the guys that he worked with were uh, um, the great uh, Benny Briscoe, uh, Thomas Hearns, Michael Spinks, um, Aaron, Aaron Pryor, um, and um, maybe you could to bring us up to, uh, just so everybody else knows it. Russell is not only a promoter; he's a boxing historian. Uh, and uh, archivist. So, uh, Russell, can you bring us up to date on what the story is in Philadelphia? I see they're having fights again, but nobody's allowed in. Is that right? Yeah, well, they were originally allowed to have 200 people, and then the the day before the city shut them down, um, I think they were trying to claim that the 2300 Arena was a restaurant because they served food there. I, I don't know what the real... Um, reason was but the fights that you're seeing in Philadelphia and a lot of places these days off television are are cards filled up of paid fights in other words a manager will call the promoter and say I need to get my guy a fight I'll pay the opponent I'll pay my guy I'll pay the medicals to travel the hotel the officials the insurance a fee everything So, and when you do that, when you're a manager who does that, you're not looking to put your guy in tough. 
because you're paying mm-hmm. for it. So why should you put sure. them in tough? So, um, you know, I've been in business too long to start doing that. Um, sure. So, but that's what, you know, in other words, we used to go to North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas for those right. kind of fights. Now they're creeping up the East Coast and around the country. But, um, you know, the, the competitive fights are still controlled by four promoters who control the television. Golden Boy, Eddie Hearn with the Zone, the streaming service, uh, Al Heyman on Showtime and Fox, and uh, top rank for the ESPN. Mm-hmm. Good. You guys have any questions for it? Russell, Ty? Yes, actually, I do. You just talked about, uh, you know, how the the competitive fights and you know the larger name fighters are are controlled by the bigger promoters. With that being said, and you know, obviously, we're living in the midst of a pandemic, COVID. Um, what's been the, the the impact on regional shows and regional promoters? How have you guys been able to survive during these times? Well, they're not. I first of all, I twenty twenty was the first time ever that I did not take out a promoter's license. I just took out a manager's license and a matchmaker's license. Maybe maybe I had karma. I don't know. Um, wow. Not karma, ESP. Um, but it's tough. <laughs> even even before the pandemic, you, you, right. you, you can't make the fights that we used to see every Friday night on the Gillette Friday night fights or even when I was at the spectrum, because the the promoters just can't, it's not the promoters. I shouldn't blame them because they're businessmen. The fighters have been so enabled in recent years and overpaid for fighting easy fights that when you want them to fight a real fight, the money they're asking for is so outrageous that the promoters can't make any money. And so you have maybe the two best welterweights in the world, Errol Spence, who's controlled by Al Heyman's premier boxing champions, and Bud Crawford, who's controlled by, I don't forget controlled, promoted by Bob Arum and Top Rank. The fighters want so much money. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know how old most of you guys are, but I can't imagine Emil Griffith saying, I'm not fighting Louis Rodriguez next month unless I get 60% of the money. I mean, these yeah, guys are yeah. businessmen. They're not athletes. They're businessmen. And that's why boxing... Do you see that attitude, do you see that attitude trickle down from the, from the top guys to guys who aren't fighting at that level as well? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's oh, wow. okay. a, re- a result of Floyd Mayweather making such a yeah. big deal over the years of being undefeated. But the bigger problem is that the, and I, I'm sure I've said this on your show, the bigger problem is the the TV networks, and I always say they don't want the best fighters. They want the fighters with the best record. So when, when you see, a, as a comparison, you see a fighter who's 20 wins and no losses. So you realize, you, so you think he's good. But if he were a basketball team, let's say he were Duke, or a, he'd be playing Muhlenberg and Gettysburg and Lehigh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it's. I mean, I know you laugh, and that's fine, but that's what it is. That's but that's actually true, what that's it true. is. That's true. That's true. You don't like see, gone you don't are the days see. of the Freddie Pendletons on TV, right? 
Right. Freddie Pendleton couldn't get on TV today with his record. Yeah. And here's the guy who, who wound up being a world champion or another kid from Philly exactly. Buster Drayton. They, right, they, right. You know, a network guy would say, well, like, why do I want to put on a guy who's got 18 wins and 10 losses? You know, they, they don't, they don't look at the quality of opposition. I told the story the other day, we had a show on USA network in 1993 at the blue horizon. It was a last minute show because the show got bumped out of Phoenix. Bone crusher Smith was in the main event and Brad Jacobs who ran USA in those days, he asked me to use a kid out of Michigan named Scotty, the body Smith, who had been a tough man guy, but he was uh-huh. in boxing. He had 22 wins, no losses, and one draw. So I put him in with a kid from Philly named Eric Holland, who had 10 wins, 15 losses, and three draws, and had never scored a knockout. So before the fight, they show their faces on TV, you know, where they do the tail of the tape. And Scotty right. says, Smith says, I'm going to be the favorite because I'm, I'm handsome and I can fight. And then they show Eric Collin with his record. And after the fight, they show their faces again. And Scotty, the body Smith, is all busted up, bleeding all over the place, because Eric Holland beat him from here mm-hmm. to Michigan. So you, you can, anybody, any promoter can get a fighter 20 wins in a row. And the people at the TV network should know better, but they don't, and they don't care. It's, it's, it's all about ratings. It's all about ratings. And in the old days, oh, Ken Norton's fighting on TV tonight, even if he's yeah. fighting Joe Blow. So Ken Norton yep. would get mm-hmm. big, big ratings. It's like, listen, Jerry Springer gets big ratings. Mm-hmm. Okay? Sure. I mean, <laughs> that's what we have to put sure. up with. It, it, this is where we're at. Well, 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 Russell, can I let me can I run a scenario through you real quick? And, I, and it's a question after this. Let's say um, uh, USA has a gold-winning amateur boxer, and he's with a local promotion. He's fighting through the competition. His record's undefeated. Let's say he even makes it to thirty and zero through a local promotion. Would he have to go to one of the major promotions to start getting? I should say, start fighting the top guys or? Would it be a problem with you know, as far as that goes? You're talking about a gold medal Olympic winner. Yeah, that who went to the pros and he who amassed a pretty good record. Yeah, but see, a gold medal winner today wouldn't be dealing with a local promoter. He'd be grabbed up. But I'll give you a better example. He'd be grabbed up by one of the big guys. So, ten years it ago, paid. I had this. It paid. It pays. Yeah. Is that yeah, what he you're saying? Up and pay oh, yeah. Pay. I said, yeah, ten years yeah, ago, pay in I advance a... as well, Russell. Yeah. Okay. I, I listen. It's good. Listen. It's first of all, I'm negative on the business. Okay. I have one foot <laughs> out the door. I've spent the last year <laughs> writing a book on my life and body. Oh wow. Because oh, awesome. the internet, the internet is the misinformation highway, and I want people to know a what went on behind the scenes. What fighters got paid, whether I made money or I didn't make money, and how much. Nice things fighters had to say about me, not nice things fighters had to say to me about me. Things I did right and things I didn't do right when I did, you know, I went 
let's say I went behind the manager's back to grab a fighter for a fight. So anyway, I had this fighter, Jason Sosa, from Camden, New Jersey. Yeah, I remember three, Jason Sosa. He, yeah, got a title. He, had yeah. three, he had three. He had three amateur fights. Okay, and then he. T- I didn't even want to sign him, but I wanted to sign one of his stable mates. So the trainer made me take Sosa. So all of a sudden, Sosa scored 15 knockouts in a row, and they were good fights. Wow. They weren't because I don't. Mm. I don't promote those kind of fights if I can help. It. <laughs> but I couldn't get them on TV because it was, wow. it was all, see, USA Network, when USA mm. Network went under in 98, it was a blow to promoters like me because USA Network was not a closed shop. They dealt with different mm. promoters every week, and they didn't always go to casinos. The Blue Horizon was a regular stop. They, they did a show on an aircraft carrier. They did them in places like Steubenville, Ohio, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. But anyway, I couldn't get Sosa on TV until I cut in top rank for half of the promotion. I couldn't do it. You can't do it today. You cannot do it without turning over half your fighters. You know what? It's so funny it because when I think of Jason Sosa, promoter. I remember him fighting with top rank. That is, that is like I clearly remember when Jason Sosa got the strap. I remember him fighting with top rank. Wow. So the exclusive TV deals also kill you guys as well. Oh sure, sure, absolutely. You, yeah, you yeah. can't, you can't go. You, what do you? And the fight, and and I don't blame the Russell. You can't get me on television. Well, what am I supposed to do? Huh. You know, it's not, it's 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 not a, it's not a. When I started in '69, and you and you still had and you still could make your money on selling tickets. All the way through the end of the century, really, even when we were selling out every week at the Blue Horizon in the 90s and getting money from USA Network, we still sold tickets. But casino and casinos, as much as they were good financially for promoters by paying site fees, they actually hurt the business because, number one, most casinos, if you have to walk through the casino to get to the arena and you're under 21, you're out. You're out. You can't get in. Yeah. And it made promoters lazy. They no longer had to promote. The casinos did the promoting. They paid the promoter a site fee, gave him free rooms and meals, security, ushers, ticket takers, the whole thing, the marketing. So you developed a whole a whole generation of promoters who were really what they called TV packagers. They'd sell a fight to a casino. Listen, in the in the 80s, I was doing looking at my book today. In the decade of the 80s, the 1980s, there were 841 fight cards in New Jersey. In the whole, in, in, I'm sorry, in Atlantic City, not in New Jersey, in Atlantic City in those 10 years. In the next 10 years, there was less than 200, okay? Wow. And this, this past year, before COVID, there were five fight cards in Atlantic City. Before COVID, wow! Before COVID, like in 1984, with the Tropicana running every week, there was like 145 fight cards in Atlantic City. Forget the rest of Jersey, just Atlantic City. Wow! You know the numbers don't lie. The first 10 years of the 20th century, 1900 to 1909. There were 2,541 boxing matches cards in Philadelphia, okay? Mm. Last year, 
there were 27 before COVID, 27. So when people tell me boxing's better than ever, I, you know, what am I, I going to tell them? You know, what do you tell them? You know, the Super Bowl got a rating of 96.4 million people, and they said it was the lowest Super Bowl numbers in 15 years. And and the either the, I think the night before the Super Bowl, there was a fight on Fox that did just under two million. I don't know how it even did that many. And boxing people were acting like we're back. Yeah. But yeah. when Ali fought Spinks in the Superdome in 1978, it was like up there with Super Bowl rating. Well, how, how, um, Russell, how do we, how do you think we how do we get boxing back to a little more purity? I should say, uh, and you know, do you have like, or is it even capable of coming back? I don't. As long as there's four sanctioning bodies, it's never and and nobody. Let me ask you something. Do you know who the um, lightweight champion of the world is? Which one? Without looking it up. Uh, Can you name one lightweight champion of the world? Or if you name the light heavyweight champion of the world, it's it's not Archie Moore. Yeah. Well, my point I mean, is, light, when light, I light to... heavyweight is is a couple different people, right? It's Berbatiev, Beef, Bivol. That's that's the problem. Right? Okay. Well, you're a boxing fan, so you know that. Okay. But when I used to go to the Eagles games at Franklin Field in the early '60s, everybody knew that Sonny Liston was a heavyweight champ. Everybody right, knew that right. Archie yep. Moore was the light. Today, they don't. They not only do they don't know. They don't care. And I think I've said this before. The death of – listen, true. suppose there was no playoffs in baseball. Suppose every division winner went around saying, we're the champ. That's what <laughs> boxing is. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, wow. And, and, but it's the truth. You know, it's yeah. not, and it's not going to change. It's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, you can't have – I mean <laughs> – I used to be able to name all the lightweight champions backwards from Joe Brown in like 61 back to Benny Leonard in 20, in the twenties. I can't even tell you. And I'm a historian. I'm in the business. I I couldn't tell you who the four lightweight champions are. If there are four, there might be three. Maybe a title is unified. I I don't know, but we're dealing with a whole generation. The other problem, another major problem for boxing was the death of newspapers. Because if you're a football fan, you pick up the newspaper and you want to read. Let's say you're picking up the New York Post and you want to read about the New York Giants. As you're turning the pages, you're going to see a boxing story. Oh, there's a fight at Sunnyside Garden next week. Yeah, so you read about it. Now, if you're a football fan, you go to the football website. You don't have the crossover that you had when newspapers were viable. And oh, that, that's a that, good point. That, that's a very that good hurt. point. Yeah. That hurt. The only people that are going to the boxing websites are guys like us, the, the fanatics, yeah. the people in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guys who want to read about the Boston Celtics are not going to go to fight news or boxing scenes. They're going to go right. to the NBA website. So that hurts. Boxing scene. Yeah. yeah. Well, Unless you get a guy to come along like a Mike Tyson. Okay. 
But he he was special because Deontay Wilder came along and knocked out a bunch of stiffs. But when Tyson came up, he was so dynamic, and he was fighting decent guys, the right guys at the right time. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. <clears throat> well, and also we were talking last week that a major problem, um, for, really for combat sports, but I think I think especially for boxing, is and you said it earlier, the internet kind of kills boxing to a certain extent because. You have a lot of non-boxers getting a platform to get money to box, and that, to me, kind of degrades the sport. Uh, uh, I mean, to an extreme. You got a lot of haters in boxing, and when you pick up the internet and you read that, when you look at the internet and you see that Bob Arum is is taking shots at Eddie Hearn, a promoter, and this fighter is uh-huh. bad mouthing that fighter. Yeah. Everybody yeah. hates everybody. I, I never saw. Just in boxing, I never read where Joe Lewis put down Billy Kahn, or I don't see it in, in other pro sports. I mean, maybe now and then a football player will take a shot at another guy, but boxing, it's, it's, it's all the time. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, um, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I got to live it when it, when it was real, when it meant something. Um, but people don't like to talk to me. Be oh, Russell, you're so negative. Well, there's a lot of reasons to be negative about boxing. Uh, you know, look how long it took to make Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. That fight should have been made five years before it was made. Sure. This and we're, we're going on the same kind of time frame with Same kind of things going on with those guys. You're right. Fighters, listen, there were always guys who had it tough. Archie Moore had to wait forever. And even in my time, you know, Marvin Hagler fought for me five times and got beat twice, oh. once legitimately. But look what he had to go to Tip O'Neill in Congress. Wow. To get him a title fight, put so much pressure on the promoters that they had to give him a title fight. So it's, it's, uh, and at that was a time when there was only one champion in each division. You know, when we knew that Marvin Hagler was the middleweight champ. So, you know, there's a kid last a kid there's a kid fighting tonight, Jojo Diaz, who's supposed to defend right. his featherweight title. I don't know which organization. He comes in three pounds overweight. Yes, and this has not been happening a lot in boxing in recent years. He was getting half a million dollars, which is ridiculous to begin with. And they find him a hundred thousand. I mean, there's fighters today who would crawl through a cesspool to make a hundred thousand dollars. And when you think about what guys like Jake Lamada had to go through, and here's a guy he can't make weight. What? what where, where was his trainer? First title defense. First title defense. Yeah. Where was his trainer? Who was watching? They had to know a week or two ago that he was struggling, but they don't care. Okay, I'm not. I'm not poo-pooing a hundred thousand, but. You know, the guy, oh, well, I'm still making 400000 These commissions have to come down harder on these kids. You can't just – this is a nationally televised fight. It's, it's – it's, I'm a purist, okay? I'm a purist. I, it's tough to watch some of this stuff. And, and, and I said I've been writing my book, so I've been looking at all the old newspaper stories. 
and the fights that we had. And actually, I'm loving it. But when I turn on TV mm. and see some of this mm. stuff on TV, it's, oh, my God. <laughs> this is terrible. Is and it, a lot of people don't know any about it. Same thing? A lot of people watch Russell, of all the fighters that you, you promoted, uh, who did you have the uh, the most luck with or the most fun with? Uh, could you let our audience know that? Well, you're always you always fall in love with your first fighter, and that was Benny Briscoe. Mm. And even yeah. though he never won the title, you know, people say, "Oh, it's a shame he's not fighting today with all these titles." I said, "Listen, I'd rather remember him from the days when mm. boxing meant something." You know, you see that you see that movie on the waterfront, and Brando was saying, "Yeah, I could have been a contender." I mean, the passion, what it meant, just to be a contender back then, and that's so. You know, Briscoe was just it was just a wonderful decade together. I was, you know, I was 23 when we got together. He was 27. Can you imagine that? Traveling wow. the world together and all those fights. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Uh, the, be, the best fighter awesome. I probably ever, ever had under contract who was my fighter mm. would have probably been Jeff Chandler, the Bantamweight champion. Who, yeah. who, you know, I think Jeff made eight successful defenses at a time when there was only the WBA and the WBC until his eyes went out on him and he had to retire. Um he was still in his. He was Jeff born Taylor. in '54. He was 29 when he had to retire. Mm. Um, but those fighters, Marvin Johnson, Saad Muhammad, you know, yeah. it was. Yeah. I mean, George Benton fought for me, and that's an honor, because George Benton was one of those fighters who, you know, be, he fought in four decades. And the title changed hands like 20 times, and he never got a shot at the title, even though he beat three world champions, Jimmy Ellis, Joey Giardello, and Freddie Little. But, you know, most people know George Benton today as a great trainer, not as a great fighter. Georgie Benton, yeah. Yeah. Russell, Russell, who's the best fighter? I was just going to ask, who's who's the best fighter that you ever saw with your own two eyes? Prime. Good question. In Absolutely. His prime, in his prime, the best I ever saw in person was Carlos Monzon. Wow. I know that's not, that's not a popular pick, but mm. I was there in Argentina Bobby. when he fought Briscoe, when he defended yeah. against Briscoe for the title. And oh, that's the right. Way, that's right. And Briscoe uh, was uh, uh. Briscoe then, and it was a terrific 15-round mm-hmm. fight, and he was right. with Briscoe every step of the way. And you know, I know people say Ali was the greatest, but I don't. I don't listen. Every fighter gets bad decisions, gets gifts in their career. But what would have happened if Ali had lost the decision to Jimmy Young? If he'd lost the decision mm-hmm. to Ken Norton in their third fight, which he definitely should have. If he'd lost the mm-hmm. decision to Shavers, which he could have. I don't know that people would hold him in the high esteem that they hold him in now. But like I say, every fighter at some point gets the benefits of close decisions. But I, to me, Monzon was the best. Was Let's say he was as good mm. as anyone I ever saw in person in their prime. Sugar Ray Leonard was a terrific fighter that nobody really talks about much today but because mm. he had a short career. But he was a fantastic fighter. 
smart. So, Russell, I could ask you a, a, a straight-up middleweight mythical matchup because you have put live <laughs> eyes on both men. Marvin Hagler or Carlos Monzon, who would have won? Prime for prime. <laughs> I hope Marvin's not listening. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not. I hate to make I, I hate to make those comparisons, but I think I think Monzon would have outpointed him. I think he would have. Um, but you know, nobody can prove me wrong. But nope, I I nope, listen, nope. I promoted the only fight in which Marvin Hagler really got his ass kicked, <clears throat> and that was the first fight with Willie the Worm Monroe. But that's okay. He's allowed. To, that's allowed to happen. He beat Monroe twice after that. But the irony or the problem with that fight is we had a snowstorm the day of the fight at the Spectrum, and the film crew never made it in the snow. So there's no film of that fight. Oh, man. All oh, I have wow. is the newspaper story. I was ready to day. Google it. I was ready to look yeah. it up. Yeah, I was, I was looking. I was going to pull it up on YouTube. I was Because I, I knew he you, lost. You can find the second and the third first... fights on YouTube, but not the first one. Wow, that is Yeah, horrible. that's a real bummer. <laughs> that is but he admitted in the newspapers the next day that he got, he had gotten beat because the Sugar Ray Leonard fight was a very close fight. You know, it was a close fight. Uh, Leonard got the, away with a lot in that fight that a better referee probably wouldn't have let him get away with. But nevertheless, Hagler was beaten up that night by Monroe. And I think wow. I told you guys the story when the fight was over. Now, Hagler had come to Philly in January and lost a terrible decision to Boogaloo Watts, Bobby Boogaloo right. Watts. Mm-hmm. Then he came back two months later and lost to Monroe. And when the fight was over, Frank, I must have told you this story. The Petronelli brothers who managed him cornered right. me outside the dressing room mm-hmm. and said, Russell, why don't you, you got all these middleweights, why don't you take us on? We'll cut you in for 10%. And I said, listen, if you guys can't beat the guys, if you can't beat the guys from Philly, what am I going to do with you? (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) otherwise I probably would have retired years earlier. (laughs) You will be writing a completely different book right now. Completely different book. But that, those stories are great. Those stories are what will make the book. Mm-hmm. So how far are you into your book, if you don't mind me asking, sir? I think I've finished writing about um, 90% of it. Uh, it's, wow. I'm having a tough time in, in recent years, just like the business has been tough in recent years. Because the, older, the, old, the, you know, the 20th century was so much more romantic because it was – it was still more of a sport than a business. Right. Much uh, more mythology. It's going to be a history of, of Philly boxing from my point of view and, and things that went on that the average guy doesn't know about or the average guy should be informed about because of all the misinformation that's out there. Sure. Sure. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, we just had. I uh, can't wait to finish it. Yeah, we just had Bernard Hopkins. <laughs> Come on, yeah. we had Bernard Fernandez on a couple of weeks ago, and he was, he's just finished up his second book also. So that should be. Uh, yeah, should be yeah, a, I've been listen. I, I 
about a month ago, I, I spoke to Bernie. I said, Bernie, I'm, I'm bogged down. I don't know if I can do this, you know, finish the book. And he said, you know what, Russell? He said, when you're on your deathbed, you'll regret it. <laughs> so he spurred me on. Great motivation there. He's, yeah. he's a great yeah, guy. Yeah. Uh, he's he's mm-hmm. one of the, both you guys give us so much information on the Philadelphia fights and, and fighters in, in general that uh, we love having you on. Um, I know I, I said we only want to put you on for 15, 20 minutes, but uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on and, and uh, giving us your time and, and uh, all the background information. Please thank your wife for uh, allowing us to have this time with you this evening. <laughs> We're babysitting. It's fine. The kids are <laughs> our grandkids. So I'm fine. Great. I appreciate Great. it, guys. If I come back on, I hope I'll be more positive. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're fine. You're totally fine. <laughs> Yeah, you are negative. Real, realism is what changes things, right? We can't if we if we dream about something that's not true, it doesn't change. So, there you go. Thanks again, Russell. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thank lot, you, guys. sir. My thanks. Pleasure. Have a good night. Bye bye. Hey, Bob, are you still with us? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Uh, how about Corey uh, Sandhagen uh, coming out? Ooh. Oh, Jesus. Oh my God! Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. I ask if you're still awake. Course, man, man, I'm listening. That he was amazing having him on. I'm just that's not my wheelhouse. I had to be quiet, you know. So, so, but as far as uh, Sandhagen, yeah, possibly K over the year. Another one of the you know, oh. flying knees. These these things. I mean, wow. cute. What was it? You know. A year and a half ago, I got on the show. The one from uh, uh, that happens to uh, uh, Ben Askren. You know what I mean? These flying knees yeah. make time. You know they 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 they're staples in 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 the MMA. Like anybody that connects with one, uh, man, it just goes down and it lives in infamy for six to eight months. You know, so um, yeah, he came out 28 seconds into the first round. Uh, pretty much timed this stuff out perfectly. Sam Hankins is a taller guy. Um, but again, you're not, you know, you're not taking anything away from Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar is a beat. You know, he's been around forever. Yeah. And what I feel bad is, you know, that night, um, those top three fights, you know, you had uh, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Johnson ended up losing to Koi Guida. So Koi Guida gets the stage. He was an all-time favorite. Then you got Bantamweight. Mm-hmm. Corey Sanhagen destroyed Frankie Edgar. 28 seconds first mm-hmm. round. Now, I think, yeah. unfortunately, Edgar's gone. Like, Dana's looking to cut yeah. people. And Sam Hagen just come yeah. up and comes yeah. up with a, dramatic, uh, a fantastic flying knee. So, right there. And then, again, going on to heavyweight. And sorry for, oh. for Z, but, you know, Alexander Holcomb. Oh. That's my guy. I knew he was going to lose, though. I didn't think he was going to win. I knew, I knew he was going to lose, but I didn't think he would get beat up. So, oh, beat up. Beat up. Yeah, I, I like with Alistair Overeem again. What my you know maybe my favorite all-time heavyweight, right? But the fact of the matter is his chin is, is kind of always been suspect, right? So he right. can go in looking good and then he gets caught or he gets tired and gets caught. But once he gets caught, it's always pretty much it. But he always looks good. This fight he didn't look good. He looked slow. Uh, he just he, done. He looked like he was, you know, he, like again, he was. He looks like he's getting to that point. He looks done. You know? He's just done. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, I mean, that's the thing. The big four zero do that to you. You hit forty, it's a whole new wheelhouse. Yeah. 
Yeah. Overeem, yeah. I mean, it's it's ways he fights, and Ty's absolutely right. It's ways that he fights, but the way he fought, look, he he, he didn't have any reactions. His offense, he looked sluggish. He looked he looked like yeah. age caught up to him. Exactly then. With Frankie Edgar. And, and, and that's and, the guy uh, you know is always in shape. Yeah. He always shows and, and, up in and shape. And he's sharp. You know? and, he's, and he's sharper. Yeah. And, and his fight technique, he's sharper. He just wasn't, he didn't have anything. Um, but with Frankie right. Edgar and uh, Sandman, I have to call him Sandman. Because um, I, I, when I looked at it live time, I, I kind of got tricked. My mind tricked me because I thought he knocked him out with his pelvis. I literally oh, thought wow. he jumped up. And humped him and, and hit him in the, and knocked him out. That's how fast right, so it looked. Knocked him out, huh? Knocked him out with the penis. I honestly did. Knocked him out with the penis. Penis to the way he jumped. The way he jumped, and then you see and, and you see Edgar leaning to throw the the overhand right, and he leaned and, and it just happened fast. But when you see it in slow motion, it. I mean, it, it was it was. It was a good time. <laughs> Something. I mean, that's and, and you know what? It's funny because if you watch a a, a Muay Thai fight in, in Thailand, you you see those guys don't they don't bob and weave, right? You, we don't do that. Um, right. And here's the thing: like from a boxing okay, standpoint, levels. Frankie did nothing wrong. Frankie was taking his head offline to step in and throw a shot, and that's what you're supposed to do: take your head offline. It's just that if you know if a guy's reading it and he reads where you're taking that head and he throws a flying knee, you know there's nothing you can do about it. But that's why, you know, like we kind of keep our arms out sometimes. You know what I mean? We don't. Yeah. You know, right. I, I, was, I agree. And you didn't do anything saying, wrong from a box no. boxing standpoint. They were they were saying he that in, he, he stepped was in and everything. Looking great. With his head movement, but his, his level change that 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 started yeah, uh, do that. The, the sign, you, you know. Be. So he kept every time yeah. he'd bob or weave, he, he'd also change level. So that's yeah. What, yeah. You know, apparently it was going through quite. You know, uh, what would you call him? See, sand sandman or something. Sandman. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, going through his mind, and he just kept yeah, you know, level you... changes. Yeah, exactly. You could slip. You know, to the sides for the most part. I mean, you still have to be careful, but when you start dipping and those level changes, you're, you're going to catch. I mean, you're not boxing anymore. You're going to catch all sorts no, of uh, I mean, he, he, legs and knees. Like and, he literally took his head offline and changed <laughs> levels to avoid a punch. <laughs> so, to, to, yeah, to, to through the overhead and while throwing a punch. Yeah, he absolutely would avoid would have avoided a punch, but it wasn't a punch that came. So that's well, the problem with with I, the I, art I, of eight limb. Right. Yeah, when exactly. you're doing the boxing and stuff, when you can do a slip a little bit differently, you can fold it to waist. But when you're in MMA, yep. you have to drop nope. those hips. You have to keep those eyes on your target because you can't be folding yep. over like that because you've got knees nope. and elbows and uppercuts coming at you like yep. no one, nobody else's business. Yep. Um, and, and when you bring the lower half of the body in the game, they're stronger than any punch you can throw. It, it, it doesn't matter. Um, like, and, and again, too, it's like if you can time it. Like I tell my guys, look, you got so much, you you know, so much uh, gas in your tank. You can throw ten big bombs or a hundred small shots. Now, those hundred small shots, all you need for him to do is move into one of them. You know, let they him move into a nade. Yeah, and when you yeah. you're gonna come down and basically plant your chin on my knee, and, and I've got what six inches, seven inches in height on you. That was barely a yeah. spot for that guy. Yeah, and I'm jumping, and I'm yeah. jumping. Wow, <laughs> and I'm jumping. he's jumping, he's bending. 
That, that was terrible. Wow. And, one and is jumping, like, one is jumping. six or seven inches of height with all that torque. <laughs> there was no way Ricky was not going to be obliterated being hit by that. I'm mm-hmm. still going to go to the, uh, the rest of my life. It's going to be a cup shot because Z called it. I, I just got him with my <laughs> cup right in the eye. There it is. Seen it to the eye. There it is. <laughs> I humped his face. I want you to see. I want to see you ch- uh, tr- teach that uh, that move to your your classes, Bob. Oh, next week, man. I'm in for it. Like, hey, squat down. Here comes my pelvis. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, don't call it to Z. Don't call it to Z. Call it to Z. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Hey, uh, Ty, I see uh, your your buddy's coming back. Uh, Carl the Jackal Frampton is coming uh, in two weeks. That, that Jamil Herring fight, that's in two weeks. I didn't know it was that. Yeah. Man, I'm, boy, I swear I'm losing track of weeks, man. I really am. I did not know that was close. I thought that was still a couple months away. So, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty interesting fight. Um, don't know who's going to be the favorite, so I'm interested to see what the line is on that one. Um, mm-hmm. Because Jamel Herring titled the title against Carl Cramp. The fight has been pushed off uh, for you know, a couple different reasons, mainly 2020. You know, about 2020 was. Sure. Everything got pushed yeah. off. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to this one. Um, this, this is probably Carl Frampton's last shot at a, at a title um, at this stage in his career. Uh, and he's fighting the guy I think is, is probably um, maybe most beatable for him at that weight. You know, this is a bigger weight than he is, 130. Carl Frampton t- tends to fight a little smaller. So I think this is the guy that's most beatable for him, but I don't know if he'll get it done. Jamil Herring is not an easy out. So um, looking forward to that fight. Good. Yeah, it, it depends uh, what Carl Frampton has left. Sure. It's simple as that. It depends what Frampton has left. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're just about uh, a little bit over time tonight that, that I extended it because uh, I wanted to, to uh, listen to Russell. Russell was, always has a lot of good stuff. He, uh, he had the largest indoor crowd uh, fight with uh, Briscoe and Hagler uh, when he was at the uh, at the spectrum, fourteen thousand three hundred and eighty-five people. So uh, we uh, we enjoyed always. You know, it's funny, a, a butch. You know, living up here in the yeah. Philadelphia, I remember being able to watch some of those fights on the old Prism Network from the Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how I used to watch some of those fights. From the, we used to watch more Prism. Yeah. Man, I want, I want a guy like yeah. that to go over to the the MMA and start doing good over there. I mean, a guy like that would just be phenomenal. I mean. Yeah, we need that kind of money. We need that kind of support. Sure, sure. It's different. Once they uh, they start getting – I I talked to him offline uh, earlier in the week. Once they start uh, allowing people uh, into the fights, uh, he's going to give you your press passes to go to the 2300 uh, and park to uh, watch the the fights. Is Russell – has he been nominated for the Hall of Fame as of yet? No, he hasn't. Wow. No. Mm. That's well, I, 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 I expect him to, to be an Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you know he he is he's such a great guy. I mean he, uh, uh, I first met him through through uh, Don Henderson, who was the uh, uh, CBS um, VP of Sports, and 
the uh, voice of the uh, Temple Owls and the 76ers uh, for many, many years. That's where I heard that name from before. I knew that name sounded familiar. Well, Don used to be the director, uh, sports director at the CAU. In fact, he's the one that hired uh, Brookshire and uh, Vinnie Papali and uh, McDonald. Wow, okay. Yeah, when they're they're, – Playing days were over. He gave him jobs, and then he went to 20, excuse me. He went to twenty nine, and uh, he. Uh, but he he and um, uh, Bruce Arians and uh, John Cheney. My God, we did a thing the other night on John Cheney. We had uh, oh uh, yeah, Honey Hill yeah, on, uh, and uh, boy, what a, you know, people knew John for his his. Uh, basketball knowledge, but they didn't know John as the person, and Sonny brought it out really well about, he would be walking through, he, he used to go to the um, Reading Market every uh, every day for his lunch. Did he? And he was walking through, yeah. Okay. He, he was walking through, and he saw it was cold, and he saw that somebody needed a jacket. He stopped and bought a jacket for the person. And, uh, wow. He would, and he would buy them something to eat. Yeah, that's, that's kind of things that, that people don't uh, don't know about John, uh, and all the good that he did with it, not only with his players, but he went out to uh, make sure, even after they uh, had stopped playing for him, yes, he made sure that uh, they were uh, following the uh, toting the line. Uh, really, a, yeah, he wanted them to be good men and have good characters. Yeah. See, that was big to him. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. I was big John. In fact, I, I, Temple was one of my favorite basketball teams. Not because I like Temple, it was because I, I like John Cheney. I was a John Cheney mm-hmm. fan. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, well, guys, we got to got to end it here. Uh, Bob, thanks a million for everything. You're always uh, well prepared. And love it. Uh, um, have any final words? No, guys. Again, uh, love being on. Thank you, everyone, to our fans. Uh, Ty, Zito, uh, Butch. Thank you very much. See you next week. Enjoy the fight. Yes, tonight. sir. Yes, sir. Have a good one, my friend. Do you want to lead us out? Uh, Sure, I do. I want to thank Russell. I hope he puts the book out after he goes into the Hall of Fame. Please, not before. Um, I want to thank Bob. I want to thank you, Butch and Ty. I want to thank all my Fighting Words family. Anyone wants to hear any Fighting Words, please do call. These shows are in memory of Dr. Chris, Coach Mel, and Bob. Hey, uh, it was great having Russell on, and as usual, it was great sitting here and speaking and articulating with you wonderful gentlemen. Everyone enjoy their week. Bob is our co-pilot. Coach Bell is watching over us. Dr. Chris keeps us laughing. Have a good week. Hey, guys, uh, do me a favor and watch yourself when you're out on the road. I know that black ice up there is is going to be horrible after after, uh, that ice storm that you're having today. So please be careful and take care of yourselves and your families. Um, Ty, before we go, update on the baby. Oh, she's doing well. She's uh, she's 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 with her mommy and her daddy, and uh, you know, they're one day at a time, right? You know, that's what we're yep. doing. So, yep. Sure. All is well. Good. Good. So I want to thank both you guys for being on, and, and uh, I really want to thank uh, Mel for preparing you guys for the, to be such a sports thank fan. Thank you, sir. Um, it really was a, a good friend of ours, of course. Uh, Bob has always been uh, been in the air corner, and Chris, uh, I know you're looking down at us and, and laughing like hell. You probably have a story, 
you want to tell us, and uh, somehow we'll get to it. But uh, we look forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women police and fire services, and the men and women on the front line of COVID, the nurses, the doctors, and all the auxiliary people that clean the hospital and, and their families. We, we appreciate each and every, every one of you and each and every day that you are there. These programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Uh, today is the 10th anniversary of the loss of uh, Jeffrey Colcap, Tom Batinger, and Jeffrey Yazowitz. Um, it's also the uh, 9th anniversary of the loss of Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, uh, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Sturb with Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Amafa Christman at <coughs> Lakeland PD. Chief Al Hogle, Longo Key Police Department, Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrolman, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Godwin, uh, <clears throat> Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Chief, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Robert Jermaine, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, <coughs> excuse me, Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cotloff, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, uh, Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police, Captain Rick, Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, FTLE Special Inspector Benny Galaccio, Delaware State Troopers, Corporal Stephen Boward, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Sam Baxter, I'm sorry, Matt Baxter, uh, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, uh, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Nanny Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, and Sergeant Brian Levine, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. My brothers and sisters, all of you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week, people. Shemarek ma'yelama Shemahezahilma Sona shenevoratfet Hakuigaget ma'yelama Cheers.